Well, welcome again here at Westside. We show you that video just as a little teaser to let you know that next weekend um, we are starting our fall sermon series, which is going to be on the Sermon on the Mount. And that is going to take us um, all the way up to Advent. And so we are incredibly excited about this. It's called Jesus Uncensored. And so what we're going to do is we are going to look at the very words of Jesus. Oftentimes in our culture, people say, well, I don't think Jesus actually ever addressed this. Or Jesus never said anything about this. And so I know nothing better to do than to preach about Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend um, a lot of time going verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount. We're incredibly excited about that. Just a few quick announcements um, before we get going. Um, Our back-to-school bash that we had scheduled for this evening um, is going to be rescheduled uh, just due to uh, inclement weather with storms and things coming in. So uh, be on the lookout for that. We'll keep you up to date because we want to get down and we want to party with you for sure. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. Also, we partner with many ministries, and so there is still time for you to sign up for the Breaking Bread ministry that's going to be happening next Sunday. This is a just phenomenal way to, number one, um, meet very practical needs, which is giving people and serving people food who are hungry. It's just basic gospel things that Jesus commanded us to do. And secondly, you really get to know people and um, really get to make friends when you serve alongside of them. So uh, be sure I would encourage you to sign up, help out, and be a part of that. And then also, we're going to be having a baptism service on August 20th here at Westside. Um, We have a lot of people signed up for that. If you're interested in being baptized, if you've given your life over to Jesus Christ, or if you've never been baptized in your life, sign up. Um, If you're skeptical about that, don't know what baptism is, still sign up for that because we have a baptism class that we teach, and we'll walk you through everything and answer those questions as well. And then if you're a covenant member here at Westside, we have our business meeting that's going to be happening August 23rd. And so if you've gone through the connection class or if you were here before the connection class was implemented, this is your right and your responsibility to come, be a part. You see where the finances go. You see what's coming ahead in the next year. And it's really a great opportunity for you to be a part and to serve in that capacity. And then if you're interested in going from what we like to call from being a Sunday attender to a family member, we have what's known as the connection class. And that's a four-week-long class um, that we go through what we believe, who we are, the areas of ministry and service that you can come and be a part of. And that's the doorway that you walk through in order to become a covenant member here at Westside. So we would love for you to sign up and be a part of that as well. And then there's a more exciting news. Um, Pastor Tyler and Kayla are out today because I have the privilege to introduce the newest member of Westside. And so that is Miss Jessie Ray there. Absolutely. I mean, that's an incredible picture. So just be praying for them as the sleepless nights of being a parent are now upon them. But mom and baby are doing great. Um, Tyler didn't really do any work. Kayla did all the work. And so he's doing fine um, as well. And so we would love to introduce the newest member of Westside to you for sure. And then I made a promise uh, back in the beginning of summer. Uh, Our church was uh, a part of the church league softball team. And so I have in my hand the first place trophy of Westside softball team. And so shout out to all of the guys that were a part of, yeah, the W. We throw up the W here at Westside. And so I made a promise that this would sit here the entire sermon when I preached. And so I follow through on my promises. So thank you for all the guys that served and were a part of the softball team. It's just a fun way uh, for guys to get to know each other. And believe it or not, 
Um, they share life when they sit on the bench, when they talk. It's a great aspect of community for them to get to know one another as well. So, hey, if you have a Bible, grab it um, and turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis um, chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible or own one, there's a white paperback Bible in the pew in front of you. That is our gift to you. We are um, in between series, and so today is a standalone sermon and um, one that is just spoke to me in my devotional time. And so as Charles Spurgeon says, a, a portion of scripture that has served you will surely serve other people. And so I'll begin reading Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. God's word says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitmen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and therefore confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Well, um, it's a very peculiar passage um, is, that was read. It's an ancient story. And maybe just a way of illustration, uh, I've talked about this game that my five-year-old son really enjoys playing called Minecraft. And basically what the premise of Minecraft is, is you can build anything and everything. And uh, your character opens up just in a blank area, just an open plane, and your character has to go through and acquire materials and raw materials, and your character builds things and does things. And oftentimes at our house, uh, when Roman's playing this game, he'll pause and we'll get on YouTube like, what did kids do before YouTube, man? They played outside. That's what they did, right? Right? And so what he'll do is he'll show me these YouTube videos, and there's competitions of people who can build some of the greatest cities. But what's actually incredible about this game is people build life-size replicas of real things. And so the first picture is a life-size replica of the space shuttle that we have here. Uh, which is pretty incredible. Uh, the second one is downtown New York City, which is a real-life replica. And what I found out about this, the guy that won this competition, all of those buildings are actually furnished. So you can go inside those buildings, and there are actually things and furniture and things there. Uh, the third picture is of Los Angeles and the Ferris... No, this is Athens. Yeah, check this out. This is a real-life size of Athens, Greece. I mean, this is incredible of the Acropolis and all of that stuff. And what's funny is when I'm watching these videos with Roman, um, we're like, ooh, oh, look at how big this is. This is incredible, this video game. And number one, I'm like, I don't know who builds these cities, but clearly they don't have a job. 
You know what I'm saying, right? That's what some people are shaking their heads like, I mean, how are you doing this, man? You know what I mean? Staying up all night or doing something. But when we walk away from that, I look at it and we're like, ooh and ah, but then I walk away and reality sets in and I'm like, that's not really real. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an accomplishment and it's fun and it's a video game, but at the end of the day, it's, it's not real reality. It doesn't contribute to anything. And the word maybe futile comes to mind. And really, that's what our text is about today. A couple of things that we have to learn before we get into this passage is we are in Genesis chapter 11. And the book of Genesis, the word Genesis literally means beginnings, the book of beginnings. This is an ancient, ancient text of literature that we are reading today. And one of the things that we often say here at Westside is context is king meaning the surrounding history and everything of this Bible passage. And one thing that we always say that we have to reconstruct is this. The Bible was not written to you, but the Bible was written for you. Now, now there's a primary difference there. The Bible was not written to you, but it was written for you. There is an author who I believe is Moses, who who writes this book. And he's writing to the people of Israel about ancient times, and those people were in ancient times. And so there's going to be language. There's going to be things that don't seem to make sense. And oftentimes people approach the book of Genesis almost as a textbook to take apart. But in reality, what Moses is writing is he's writing a story. And he's writing a story of beginnings, And what we see in Genesis from 1 to Genesis chapter 11 is the goodness of God and his creation. But then what we also see is the sinfulness of man. And what we see, our background in our text today is this. Genesis chapter 1 opens with this beautiful line, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe that story is the language of the heart. That's why when we read our children's stories, it says, once upon a time. And so Moses writes and says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we see this incredible triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they are in this beautiful relationship together. And literally this relation spills out onto the canvas of creation. And Genesis 1 and 2 have a rhythm. And God said, and it was good. And God said, and it was good. And God said, and it was good. And we see the sun and everything be created. But the apex of this good God's creation is that he makes man in his image and his likeness. For mankind is set apart from everything else in creation. He creates man in his image and likeness. And we have our first parents, Adam and Eve. And we see that he causes a deep sleep to fall over Adam. And from Adam's side, he creates Eve. And when Adam wakes up, we like to say here at Westside, he sees Eve and he's kind of like, hey girl, hey, right, right? He's like, that is not like anything else that you've created in creation, right? And we see this beautiful harmony at the end of Genesis chapter 2. And it says that man and woman were in this beautiful relationship with themselves and with God. Then Genesis 3 opens up. And we see the enemy says that you can go around God to be like God. You don't have to live in God's created order the way in which he has created it. You can be literally your own God or to to go back to the Minecraft illustration, you can build your own world the way that you want to. And we see that sin enters in and fractures everything. 
And then we see this rhythm through the next chapters of Genesis. We see that Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, we see murder takes place. Then we see Noah, and God sort of starts over in his creation, which is all a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And now at the end, right here in Genesis chapter 11, we are after the flood. And we see that humanity has one language. And I'm not going to get in and answer all of the questions of the origins of humanity today because I don't believe primarily that's why Moses is writing this story. I believe that he is telling us something. And the first thing that I want us to see today is this, is that everyone is trying to build their own tower. That everyone is trying to build a tower in their life. If you look at the text, it's pretty interesting. The background actually begins at the end of chapter 10, verse 32. There's a reason why this verse is here. It says, These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these the nations, here it is, spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now, here's what you have to understand. Oftentimes, the the Tower of Babel, this ancient story, is actually told wrong. Um, Because oftentimes a Sunday school or a preacher will say, see, that's mankind trying to build a tower to dethrone God from his throne. But that's not the great sin of Babel, actually. The great sin of Babel is that they are trying to build their own world outside the way that God has created it. Because at the end of Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, this is what God tells Moses. And God, I'm sorry, Noah. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's also what he told our first parents, Adam and Eve. So, so listen, the great sin of Babel is not this aspect of building the tower and doing this primarily. The great sin of Babel, listen, is that humanity is not spreading out and obeying God's created order. You see, a lot of people think that this story shows that God is against human flourishing and God hates technology and science and all of these, right? Putting the fun back in fundamentalism, you know what I mean? But that's primarily not what God is talking about. God is saying, I want human advancement. I want blessings to take place, but as being the creator of it, this is the way in which it should happen. But we see humanity, just like we saw in the first ten chapters of Genesis, they're wanting to do their own thing with the original sin of Adam and Eve. But here's what you have to know. The tower represents, the tower and the city, and there's some things represent certain things. Because if you look in verse 4, this is what humanity says. Have your eyes on Scripture so you know that I'm not making this up. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Now here it is, lest we be dispersed over the face of the earth. You see, they knew what the command was, but they disobeyed the command. And we have to understand what these things represent. The building of a city represents belonging and security for humanity, right? It's this aspect of having a society, of belonging to something to be a part of, to have a way of life, to create rhythms, to have 
community, if you will. And now the tower, the tower represents spirituality. And this is something that's very interesting. I do not primarily believe, and most scholars don't believe, that they were building this tower literally in the heavens to dethrone God. And the writer doesn't believe that either because did you see the sarcasm? They said that they were going to build it to the heavens and God has to come down to look at it, right? We're going to get to that in a minute. That's great sarcasm. The Bible's actually filled with it. It's hilarious and it's awesome. But here's what the tower actually represents. This is in the ancient area of Mesopotamia. And we know what these towers are. These towers are actually called ziggurats, and we have a picture of them. And what this tower was is it was built next to a temple, and it was a part of the spiritual act of worship. And here's what the ancient people would do. They would build these towers with an open gate at the top. There would literally be like an open roof, if you will. And what they would do is they would offer a sacrifice on top of that roof. Now, listen, don't miss this. This is good. They would offer a sacrifice on top of that roof in hopes to bring God down to fill the temple. So the people were actually trying to control God in a way in which God never said that he would be worshipped. Literally, they were trying to worship a God that they could control. And, and, and actually, that's what we see in spirituality today. Did you know that a majority of society actually doesn't claim Christianity, but what they do claim is spirituality, a vagueness of something. Actually, a majority of humanity knows that there is something greater out there, and there's something out here, and there's always a longing, listen, of transcendence of being a part of something. Like, that's why we go to concerts, right? That's why men take off their shirts in Green Bay and paint their chest for a football game, okay? Right? Because literally humanity has a longing to worship and to feel transcendent. But there's always a problem with vague spirituality. Because vague spirituality at its core is not about worshiping its God It's about making a name for yourself. The last thing of making a name for yourself is represents significance. Because always tied up in some false religion or a cult or something like that is always a premise that you're free to do what you feel and what you want and that you can be your own God. Now, look at this list. This is an ancient story, literally as old as time. And look at humanity's needs and desires. They want to belong to something and they want to have security. They want to have some sort of transcendence and spirituality. And then lastly, they want to have significance in their life. All of those are good desires. And you know what I love about the Bible? As Adrian Rogers says, the Bible is as up to date as tomorrow's newspaper because every one of you in this room have those desires. Listen, if you're even peeking over the fence at Christianity, you don't believe anything that I'm teaching, you cannot deny that humanity and that everyone in this room has those desires. Those desires are not what's inherently wrong. What's inherently wrong is how we fulfill those desires. This is a good definition of sin, and you need to write this down. Sin is fulfilling legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. 
sin is fulfilling legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. Like that's actually the core issue and the problem with things like pornography and sexual sin. Sex in and of itself is not bad. God created it, man. That's the church's thing. We need to get that back from the world. Cosmopolitan didn't invent that stuff. You know what I'm saying? God in his creation didn't come back and see Adam and Eve and go, what are they doing? I have no idea about that, right? God created this. These desires are good. But listen, here's the problem with humanity is that we fulfill them in wrong ways, Money is not bad. The idea of achievement and human advancement is not wrong. But sin is fulfilling illegitimate legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And this is the way, actually, in our home that, that we teach our children about sin. Because look at the word sin. This is just a very easy way to understand this. What's the middle letter? I. Me. Always in the middle of this is yourself and these desires. The desires aren't wrong, but what's wrong is how you want to fulfill them. And listen, my beg and plea for you is that our God is a good God. And what we talked about last week, that his do nots in the scripture, as one pastor says, are there like do not hurt yourself because he's a good and loving God. Jonathan Edwards, one of the greatest minds in American history, said this, fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, or children and friends, these are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beings, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. And mark this down, and you can take this to the bank. Self-glorification always leads to self-destruction. Self-glorification always leads to self-destruction. Look at me. You want to end your marriage today? Make your marriage all about you. You want to destroy and sabotage every relationship in your life? Make every relationship in your life about you. Now, isn't it profound that over 2,000 years ago, a Jewish rabbi who was causing a revolt against the Roman Empire came along and said, it's not about self-glorification, it's actually about self-denial. Do you see now how profound Jesus' teachings are? But what you have to understand when we read this story is that you are trying to build a tower. You want this security, this belonging, this significance, this spirituality and transcendence in your life. But primarily what I think is the second point is what this story is about is this, is that God is building the greatest tower. Is that God is building the greatest tower. And this is such a play on words in this story. I love it. So they say that they're going to do this. And by the way, isn't it significant in verse 3, and they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. What is this? This is a new technology. Have you ever tried to stack stones one on top of each other? They're not going to get too high. But what they figured out is, is that if we do this mud and we dry it in the sun, which is actually what we understand the ziggurats to be made from because we can go and see them, so now you have a new technology and that man in his new technology is advancing. But what did we say? Come, let us go down, verse 7 says, and confuse their language. Let us go down. The author Moses says this twice. 
and that literally they say, we're gonna build this to the sky. To the heavens is not a literal aspect of literally in heaven. It's to the skies. All ancient scholars believe this. And so literally the greatest feat that they've accomplished, the greatest thing, God literally needs a microscope to see. (laughs) And I saw this no more could be true than when we were on vacation we were visiting some family members, and they stayed um, in this condominium. And here's a picture of, of the view of the ocean and the gulf. But what I loved is that little blue dot down in the left corner is a swimming pool. And what's so funny about these condominiums is, like, there's a line of swimming pools, and 100 feet away is the ocean. And, I'm, and it's like all these condominiums have to have a swimming pool And I'm like, there's the ocean, bro. You know what I mean? Like, we drove eight and a half hours, nine hours in a car with kids, not to swim in the swimming pool, but to go out into the ocean. But as I was sitting there and watching this, I thought, huh, that swimming pool's man's accomplishment. That ocean's God's accomplishment. That swimming pool is man's swimming pool. That ocean's God's swimming pool. That ocean is man's knowledge and man's capabilities. And that ocean is God's knowledge and God's capabilities. See, what we have to understand is is that in this story, God is representing and showing that he's building the greatest tower. And now we have to do some work when it says, come let us confuse their language. There's a reason behind this. People teach that God was afraid that mankind would advance and dethrone him. That's not what the writer's saying. The writer is using a play on words and said, come, let us go down and see this, right? He's minimizing man's accomplishment. What this is is an act of judgment and an act of mercy because remember, the first 11 chapters of Genesis is telling a story about God's good creation and that creation rebelling against the creator, And what this is, is an act of judgment and mercy. Because when it says that there will be nothing that they cannot do, echoes the same thing in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what happened when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden? God banished them. Why? Because if they ate of the tree of life, they would live in an eternal state of sin forever. So actually, this is God's mercy. And if you're a parent, you know this, you do this. There's a reason why in our house we have electric, um, the, the, the electric outlet covers in our, in, in our house, right? It's not because we ban technology in our house. It's because I don't want Piper Graham sticking that finger in that socket and turning into bacon. You know what I mean? That's an act of mercy and, 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 and saying that as the ruler of this home, there's a created way in which we should do this. And so this is God actually loving his creation saying they have no idea. Listen, like little children, they will give themselves over to this and they will literally destroy themselves. And isn't it haunting that it says that they were dispersed? And then look at this in verse eight. So the Lord dispersed them. I love it, right? Because that's the original command. To spread abroad and to be fruitful and multiply, which tells me this, God dispersed them. So you have two choices and we say this all the time. And we always like to lighten the Bible, right? Like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, for he makes me lie down in green pastures. Mm, I love it. The Lord's just cozy. He just wants my life to be comfortable, right? I read that verse and realize I got two options. I can either lie down in green pastures or he'll bust my knees and make me lie down in green pastures. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. And so it says the Lord dispersed them because God will accomplish his word. Oh, that was a great spot for an amen, but it's all right. It's the 9 a.m. service. I'll say it again so you can do that, okay? Because God will accomplish his word. Amen. Amen. And then it says this, the Lord dispersed them, and then here it is. And they left off building the city and the tower. Isn't it crazy that in the middle of all of this city and this advancement, that they left off building it, which means that it was just left there. Now, 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 use your imagination, because we have to with the Bible. Imagine all this, something's happened. This is ancient times. This is incredible. God has intervened in time and space, and now there's this new thing that's happening that's just, quite frankly, a mystery. But every day, people walk by this tower, and it's just left desolate, like construction that was never finished, if you will. Um, This week, there was the announcement about um, Los Angeles hosting um, some of the Olympic Games uh, in the years to come. And what was interesting, when I read that article, there was another article, a link to the article in the bottom. And it was very, very interesting about this. Um, This first picture is a picture of the 1984 Winter Olympics that were in Yugoslavia. Um, It had 1,272 athletes compete for the Winter Olympics. And so if you know anything about the Olympics, it's a big deal when they come to your city because it's new people, it's building, it's construction, it's all types of things. But what the article said is sometimes it's actually not good because this is a picture of what that exact spot looks like today. It's literally a ghost town. And it's haunting to see where some of the greatest athletes, now listen to me, some of the greatest human achievements in the world, where they literally received gold for their achievements, is left abandoned and desolate. This next picture is a picture of the 2004. Now listen, this isn't too far off. 2004 Summer Summer Olympics in Athens, listen to this, which drew 10,000 athletes over a million people in the opening ceremonies and cost the city an estimated $4 billion to build the facility. This is the outside swimming area, and this is what it looks like today. Desolate. And I got to thinking when I was reading this and I was reading the article and I was thinking about this, why would God just leave that tower there in the city left undone? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit said this. Ruins are a reminder of what it is to build something without God. Now relate that to your life. Any of you look back on some broken marriages, some broken relationships, and some former addictions, and just that job that you had to have. And in reality, God leaves those ruins standing as a reminder for us out of grace and mercy, this is what it looks like when you try to do something without me at the center. Because listen, the human heart always has to have something at the center of it. Always has to have something at the center. And these ruins are a reminder of what it is to build something without God. But what is the tower that God's building? Oh man, I've been waiting the whole message just to get to this, okay? You ready? Everything else, if you just listen to this, okay? 
Why are there genealogies? It doesn't make sense, right? We get this crazy story. Look, look at your Bible. Physically look at your Bible. If you have a fake Bible on your phone, I'll let that slide. Jesus still loves you. I'm just teasing. But look, Genesis 11 is sandwiched between genealogies. Like chapter 10 is about this Hittite and that guy and this guy and the Archites and the Bagel Bites and the Canaanites. No, I'm just kidding, right? Like it's sandwiched between all this stuff. And then verse 10 talks about the generations of, and this son was the son of this Jehoshaphat and this guy, and then this other fat guy was the son of, you know what I mean? And so it's like sandwiched in between all this stuff. But the key's in verse 10. These are the generations of Shem. I found this out this week and literally just praised Jesus. I had a Holy Spirit moment in my office by myself as I was studying the Bible. Do you know what the word Shem means in Hebrew? Literally, we have, let us make a name for ourselves in, uh, in this human achievement and advancement. And then God sandwiches genealogies in the Bible. And the word Shem in Hebrew means name, fame. It literally means name and fame. And what's God doing? God's saying, this is how humanity tries to make a name for itself. And here is how the sinful desires always twist and bend this idea of belonging, security, and spirituality. But here is how I do it. And then verse 25 is key. Oh, I love this. It goes through all of these generations. And then look at verse 26. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram. And then now Genesis chapter 12 picks up for the call of Abram. Do you know who Abram is in the Bible? His name changes to Abraham. And God says, through you, I will make great a great nation. And through you, all of the world will literally be blessed. And then here's what God tells Abram. He says, through you, I'm going to do something where all the generations will remember your name. And we literally have Israel because of Abram. But that's not the best part. The best part is that in the Gospels, Luke records the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Why? I believe because of a number of things. It points to the historicity of the man, Jesus Christ. That if you kind of don't know or don't believe that if he really lived and walked the earth, then you can actually look at his family tree. And it starts like this in Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. And then verse 34 says this. He was the son of, the son of, the son of the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Do you see what God is doing and the tower that God is building? And then the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, says these words, for he, Abram, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What am I trying to tell you today? I'm trying to tell you this. Creating a life without the creator of life only leads to chaos in life. The word babble means chaos. And that's what it looks like when humanity tries to do something apart from the creator. As the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I want us to ask ourselves, what does this look like for us Parents, what are you trying to build in your home? 
married couples, what are you trying to build at the center? And remember, sin is fulfilling legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And one commentator says this, the story of Babel tells us that our human ingenuity and mightiest accomplishments mean little in the eyes of God if they are counter to his purposes. Our ultimate security lies not in human towers, whether United Nation towers or trade towers or World Trade Center towers or intelligence towers or science towers or missile shields. Our security lies in the transcendent, sovereign God alone. He alone is able to break down kingdoms and oppose his redemptive purposes for his world and for his people. He alone is able to bring his peaceable kingdom on earth and he will do it. What are you building today? And who are you building it for? And who is at the center? Because no matter what, No matter what man's greatest accomplishments are, whether it's an Olympic gold medal, whether it's scientific feats that are achieved, no matter if it's the tallest tower, if it's the greatest numbers, if it's the greatest philosophy, the greatest history, the greatest theology, all of them stand in the shadow of Jesus Christ because Calvary is what will always be left standing. And God is building a tower and that kingdom will come. And you have a choice today. You have a choice to be a part of what God is building and everything else is opposing that. As we come forward, as you saw the elements brought forward, his kingdom still stands and the tower is mighty. May we bow the knee to it today. Heavenly Father, we come before you. Comfort those who need comforting today. May we know that these desires that we have, they're not innately wrong for you've created us this way to have belonging, to have security, to feel transcendence, to have significance in our life. All of these things are not innately bad, but God, prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. That is our anthem. We fulfill them in illegitimate ways. Convict us where we need convicting, and may we understand that today we bow the knee to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And may we praise your name today to say you are building the greatest tower, and that tower still stands. We pray this in the name above every name, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at?